0: From Acts 19, 21 through 41. Now, after these things, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And there is danger not only that this trait of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be, disp- be deposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Arist- Aristarchus, And Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, "'Great is Artemis of the Ephesians!' And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, "'Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of, Eph- of, the, of the Ephesians is, "'is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky?' "'Seeing, then, that these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. "'For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. "'If, therefore, Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, "'the courts are open and there are pro "'Let them bring these charges against one another. "'But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly.'" For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commission. And we had said when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. This is God's word. thank you, brother.
1: Please be seated, and we'll pray together. Thank you, man. Praise the Lord. So um, praise God, we have. Um, Pastor Leon passing out Bibles. If you need them, go ahead and raise your hand. We will get those to you. Um, we are into, in the book of Acts, right now, finishing up uh, chapter chapter nineteen. We're uh, very encouraged by what the Lord is doing. Uh, we want to just let you know again. Uh, we I, I, we're doing a narrative today, and I'll talk about what that what that means in a moment. A brief narrative. Uh, we had a time where we prayed and a lot is going on right now uh, in, in God's kingdom. And so I don't know if we'll have time. I thought we might have time to, to talk about uh, last week. I know there was a lot going on when we were talking about the whole demons and all that. So I wanted to leave room for some questions for last week. But I don't know if we're going to get there. Maybe we might have that happen next week. So um, bear with me as I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as we move forward with our understanding of, of our study of God and, and his word. So just know that, guys, okay? Um, I want to encourage you, um, Yeah, if you have questions, go ahead and ask those questions. want to be able to process those with you if they are really going to encourage the whole body. If there's something specific, come see uh, your pastor. I would love to um, add value um, if I can. Uh, really excited about what the Lord is showing us as we jump right in uh, to uh, the journey of Acts 19. Uh, brief snapshot, in a nutshell, we have Jesus who just comes and just turns everything around. Uh, You know, he comes, he declares himself being king. He declares himself being uh, the second, you know, the member of the of the triune Godhead. Uh, He dies on a cross uh, to save all of his creation, us being the pinnacle of that. Um, Obviously, many of those individuals who were with Jesus at that time didn't know what had happened when they saw uh, the king of of the whole creation dying on a cross. Uh, but then he rose from the dead and that just kind of reaffirmed not they still didn't know everything, but they knew one thing like humans don't just get up from the dead. So uh, he must be different than human. And this is actually the God of all creation. So it basically deconstructed their understanding of what he was like. Oh, so you are the Lord. He validates that through rising from the dead. Then he not only rises from the dead. He says, I'm going to actually now give you that commission. Uh, why I'm going to almost like replace you on a role that you were placed on uh, before the fall and that is to, to make much of me so I want you to now make worshipers you're worshiping me I want you to have other people worship me I'm sending you out to the world you're going to start in your own little hood it's going to expand a little more it's going to expand a little more to people you've never talked to before and it's going to go all over the world because I'm actually the Lord of the whole of the whole world and then he not only gives him that commission uh, in Acts chapter 1 but then he empowers them. the scripture says with the Holy Spirit okay he gives him uh, basically the same Holy Spirit that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, God himself uh, he basically gives them the, the power uh, to actually com- to actually enter into this journey this missional journey uh, so basically what 's happening right now is he kind of just reframes what does it mean to be human, what does it mean to be god 's people god 's new creation. And that are people who are, who are bought with his blood, born of the spirit, and who believe Jesus is their king. So basically, that's the gospel, right, for all of us to say, man, I'm not king, Jesus is king. He does that, they go out, they see miracles happen to validate his power, they see things happen crazy to validate his power, uh, they see the church begins to grow, people begin to get saved, the body of Christ begins to form, persecution happens because, you know, Satan, whenever you start getting doing things right and you start seeing yourself pursuing Christ, worship In Jesus following the Lord guess what there's going to be attack okay so let me make sure everybody understands that that's why we get attacked so much right (laughs) because you're actually trying to do something for the Lord God is giving you the grace to try to be about his kingdom and so you're not going to go through life just all happy go lucky and be about Jesus stuff alright and so that happens to them Uh, They continue to push on. The church continues to grow because no one can thwart God's plan. Uh, He begins to take people who actually are killing Christians, murdering believers, and he actually changes them into Christians. And one in particular, we get his narrative all throughout the text, and that is uh, Saul, who becomes Paul. This guy is murdering Christians. He's a Pharisee. He's a big-time Jew. He realizes that Jesus is actually king gives his life to jesus by god's grace god saves him he goes on a road to be the missionary he's proclaiming the gospel all over the place and then what we've been going through for many weeks now a couple months is paul's missionary journeys the the journeys that he took to make god known to the world okay and we talked about the first missionary journey the second and third can we just pop the first one up here real quick um there we go. And so we see uh, the first missionary journeys kind of. Uh, I have my notes here. Uh, he covers in the first missionary journey probably around 1,400 miles. Now imagine that, in the first century. Right? You ain't got no car, you ain't got no Toyota, right? And you are covering 1,400 miles uh, to preach the gospel. The gospel goes forth. Uh, that's between you know, Acts 13 and probably around Acts, the end of Acts 14 because then he goes to the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15. Then you see uh, he, go, he begins his second missionary journey. Oh, and I got my little dot here. As you can see, this is the, uh, the pathway uh, in which he goes uh, as he proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ, right? Uh, then you have the second missionary journey, uh, which begins, uh, pro- after the Jerusalem council, after he goes, uh, to, uh, the head honchos and says, guess what guys, God is using me. Gentiles are coming to faith. They're born of the same spirit that we're born of. So they have interest in the kingdom. I know God gave you some dreams. That stuff's real. You need to deal with it. This was going on, right? Then he goes off and he continues to preach the gospel. And at this time, the first time, remember, it was like Barnabas and Marcus with those guys. Now, you got Silas, you got Timothy, you got Priscilla, you got Aquila, um, and you got actually Luke on this journey. And so they're covering all kind of lands. And you can see uh, they're going up this way and all around. Remember, we talked about them being in Troas, wondering what God wants to do. God gives them a dream here because God is sovereign. Praise the Lord. Tells them, I want you to go over overseas a little bit. And I want you to go to, to Europe proper. And he preaches the gospel all up in here and comes around. I mean, amazing. So this is, this is what, how God is using this man and his crew uh, to basically allow the world to hear the goodness of Jesus. And then what we, what we enter into is between uh, probably chapter 18, end of chapter 18, uh, a couple of weeks ago, and where we are now, he's in his what we call the third missionary journey. Okay, third missionary journey where you have still Timothy with him. You have Luke. You got some others that we've seen mentioned. And, and the main route here, he's going through like modern-day Greece. He's in Turkey and Israel. And this, this trek is around 2,700 miles. So he covers 1,400 miles and 2,800 miles and 2,700 miles. Unbelievable, right? And this is pop them all together. Do we have a, a slide where it shows them all together? So this is my man's journey. Uh, as he's preaching the gospel and if you notice he's going to places over and over again we talked about that reality why because we get to see something here again actually want to be very careful to make sure you you're delineating when you're going to talk about doctrine and when you're going to talk about implications of what's happening which is just practically this is this is how things work it seems that an implication here um, i wouldn't call it doctrine but that discipleship matters right That we can see from his travels, that he goes to a place, he continues to go to those places, he sends letters to those places, and he goes, he raises up leaders, he trains them up, he wants them to be about God's business uh, for the glory of Jesus. So that's, where, we, that's where, we, where we've gone. Here's where we are now. We're in a third missionary journey, and we're in Acts chapter 19, and we've seen all kind of crazy stuff happen before. We've just experienced uh, the, 12, the 12 disciples of John's baptism. He handles that. We see the issue of uh, last week, the, the, the Jewish exorcists. And him get the exposure, you know, and him really showing that Jesus is actually one that's powerful, not these professional exorcist people. Uh, We've seen a lot of crazy stuff. And now we're here uh, in this text, and it seems like the the author wants us to see just all the different things that Paul is going through in a realm of what I would call persecution. And it's very it's sad, but it's very interesting that we, we begin our time praying for the persecuted church. Okay, and then seeing the theme in Acts be one in which where God's movement is going far and is going powerful right in the midst where where the world hates him. Right. And we're seeing over and over again, Paul being persecuted, seeing things happen where you're going, man, that's really difficult. And we're seeing Paul, by God's grace, pushing through. Uh, for the sake of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see something even more intense even here today where we see a riot and we see all kind of drama. But it seems that the, what I want to do is, is, is walk through this narrative, um, and then I want to ask um, a few questions and provide a few insights, and then we're going to actually uh, head on home. So... Walk through this narrative with me, and I want you to keep in your mind of what we've seen before. Um, We've seen God do these great things using Paul. We've seen Paul stand up to these demons last week. We've seen Jesus use him to see, uh, to expose that only Jesus is the one who has power over demons. And now we enter here, and we're going to experience more persecution starting in verse 21. Okay? Now, after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome, um, which, which actually I put First Corinthians 16 here. And also in your address, you can write down uh, Romans, Romans chapter 15, uh, Romans chapter 15. You can actually turn there if you want to with me, because what I love about going through the book of Acts, and we've done it a few times, not as much as I would have hoped. Cause, because, of the sake of time, but if you notice when you read in the book of Acts, the cool thing is you can really affirm your faith because you see mentions of all kind of aspects of other books in the New Testament. Okay, and so right now, and this is all happening because Paul is writing these letters. See, this is this, the book. The, the New Testament isn't just a sequential book, right? He, like Acts didn't happen, right? And then Romans, right? <laughs> Acts is happening, and when Acts is happening, all the other thirteen books that he wrote are happening. Because he's sending letters during these times. Remember when I gave you guys a timeline? Like, man, he's already sent at this point the first letter to the Corinthians, right? He's already sent Thessalonians, right? He's done. He's done this, right? And so, so right now, I would say if you turn to Romans chapter 15, it says uh, in uh, in verse 26, "For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints." Verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought to also uh, to be of service to them in material blessings. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected. I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, um, I will come in the fullness of the blessings of Christ. And then you also go to First um, Corinthians 16. What you're seeing there is the question is why... Um, Why is he uh, passing through Macedonia and Achaia uh, is because he's actually doing a collection plate. (laughs) He's actually getting resources uh, for the poor churches. Jerusalem was a very poor church. Okay. Very, very impoverished in a way that actually, and I love this. I love God's sovereignty here. So God saves the world because he's the creator of the whole world. But you know what's cool about God saving the whole world? Uh, It was very practical for the ethnic Jews. You know why? Because they were so destitute and so poor. Do you know what sustained the Jewish church as it were in the first century? Gentiles. People with money. The Gentiles who have money. And so it's very interesting because they're getting these resources from all these other Greek and Gentile believers who can actually supply and equip uh, the church in Jerusalem to stay afloat. And I, it's almost, it almost reminds me of what you see even in the Old Testament where you think, oh, man, look at Joseph. He's standing firm, and Joseph Joseph's a man of faith. And you really look at the book, and you realize, no, if, Joseph, uh, if God wouldn't have used Joseph, Israel would have probably been extinct because the famine would have happened, and all the Israelites would have died. And so you see God's sovereignty all over the place in the scriptures. And so I want to say one of, one of the ways that you see God's beautiful wonders and his grace is he knew that, man, I'm, not, I'm saving everybody because I created everybody. But also, you Jewish people who think you're all elitists and, and you're big time, I'm going to humble you because the very people who you wouldn't speak to are going to support you to stay alive. So you have here, so when you look at those texts, just always, what I want to do is just train our church. When you're reading those books and the epistles, remember, man, this stuff is happening. And try to, you try and do some Bible gymnastics. When you're looking at Acts and and you're reading the Bible and you're remembering key words and the Holy Spirit reminds you of a key word, take time and, and, and don't be lazy. Take time and say, I've seen that before. Where is that? And, and take your concordance, right? And take your and look at look at your Bible and say, where is that at? And and, and go to other texts in the Bible and, and start to see the story of God begin to mend where you realize, man, this is one beautiful meta-narrative. Alright, so all I had to say Paul, Paul was making sure everything was tight. Uh, we saw before he, he, he's making sure the leaders are okay. He's been uh, serving in this area for about two years. The author wants you to know that his focal point was wrong, but he's, he's basically bringing up resources for the Jerusalem church. And one thing that I that I want to just another implication that I just want to share real quick that I was convicted on, as I look at 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Corinthians 16, Romans 15, and I see this reality of, of, of God's people being supported by God's people, one thing I'm convinced of, and I and I pray this will happen more in the local churches, is that a church in one place is responsible for the church in another. Is we can have a mindset and, and to be honest, I'm going to keep it 100. I've been, I'm, I get sad because I see us at churches and I've, we've risen money, raised money and talked to big churches and talked to churches. And, I, and one time I never forget, I had to convict one of my brothers because we were, we were talking about what we we're going to be doing. This was probably four years ago. And, and he was sharing and I was sharing about what we we're going to be doing as a local body. And he just kept talking to me just like the money was theirs. And I just was like, but bro, this isn't your money. Cause you you know I, I want you to be a good steward because it's from the church you're at, but it's God's money. So don't so let's be you know and I'm sure there's some pride in my heart, but also I think there's a righteous indignation to try to remind my brother that we're asking you, but we're really asking Jesus. And you're just a steward. You didn't, this ain't your cheese. Let's be clear. You can get hit by a bus real quick, right? God can finish you off. Can I keep it 100? Right? You ain't nothing. Neither am I. So just be real careful how we talk about these resources. And if God blows us up and we're doing all this stuff, I got, we got faithful doctors in here. We got lawyers and, and, and God is raising up a body and we got people who are doing all kinds of cool things. We got our CDC really thriving. I mean, I love what, what God is doing through taproot. And if God, when God blesses this ministry, cause he is, and he will, and we grow and we have stuff. I pray we would never be arrogant and think, look at our stuff. Let me decide what we're going to do with our money. No, this is God's stuff. And so I pray people will be blown away at how generous we are. I mean, I just want to blow money for Jesus. Just throw it out there. I'm sorry, but yeah. So, so I just love the heart. So when you read the Bible, when you read in the epistles, look at the heart of Paul and how he talks about the church and how, how was so, it was so important for him to go to these other churches and, and just assume. when he, he says, hey, I know if you don't have it, cool, but I'm assuming that you want to give. Because he had, a, he, had a, he had a big picture theology of who God is and who we are as his people. And he didn't see it disconnected at all. He's like, well, what do you mean you won't give? Aren't you part of the body? Do you see that? I hope we have that robust nature. So, so when you're reading 1 Corinthians and all those places, I hope you'll see that. I just wanted to put that in and whet your appetite a little bit. All that to say, Paul is like, man, in the spirit, he's resolved in the spirit. Meaning like, um, if you do literal translate, like in his mind. So the spirit, Holy Spirit was speaking to him in a supernatural way. I mean, he didn't hear an audible voice here, but there was something that urged him to go, man, I need to, I need to do this. And I pray for our body that we'll be hearing the spirit like that. That the Holy Spirit will be urging you and you'll be prompted and, and the Lord will allow you to move in light of what the spirit tells you. Verse 22, and having um, sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. You get a new dude on the scene, Erastus. Um, Paul stays in this, uh, for a season in Asia. He sends out Timothy. Uh, Tim, I'm sorry, Tim was in uh, Corinthian, Corinthian at the time. And then verse 23 says... Um, about that time there arose, no little disturbance concerning the way I love. He uses this word a few times, no little disturbance. So he's kind of preparing us right now for the drama that's about to take place. He's saying, and guess what? Hey, there, some drama happened. It wasn't no little drama by any means. And us um, this part in this process and see what happens here, guys. Uh, verse, uh, verse 24 authors kind of preparing us for a man named Demetrius, uh, a silversmith, uh, who made silver shrines of Artemis. Sorry, Demetrius, bro. This brother making, you know, that ain't you, though. So you redeem that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> redeem that name, boy. Um, who made silver shrines of Artemis uh, brought no little business to the craftsmen. So uh, what is he saying here? He's saying this Demetrius guy. So there's a lot of drama. This Demetrius dude started it all. Let me help you all understand what's happening. This is uh, the author talking. And he says it's a common name, uh, this Artemis piece, just for us to understand. Artemis was this guy that actually, uh, it's not a Greek name, which lets you know that this was actually before Artemis, that fake god, was actually risen up even before uh, the Greeks at this time. Actually before, right, it was like now it was like a sex god and all kind of crazy stuff. But before then, it was like a god of like a uh, traditional protector of wild creatures. And so people saw him as he would protect wild creatures. So, so basically pagan worship was alive and well way before Ephesus was even a, a city. And, and we're not, we shouldn't be surprised because of the fall. We know we've always been pagans before Jesus saved us. Right? So that's just, is what it is. It just validates that reality. well, This Demetrius guy comes in, he makes, what he does is he takes silver and stuff and he makes these these little artifacts of this little, of this God, right? This Artemis God, he makes these little artifacts, okay? That's what he does. And basically, he's frustrated. Why? Because verse 25 these he gathered together, he was kind of like it was kind of like the, the union of today, right? Uh, this was like the auto union of the day and so they all the guys who would make all the, the fake, fake pagan gods, uh, they would all gather together uh, to make sure that they were having a good business. And so they all gathered together because right now some dude was messing with their bottom line, right? Somebody was entering into their pockets so they're kind of frustrated. Verse 25, it says, these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades. All the crew who does kind of the same things that he does and said, men, you know that from in this business we have our wealth so check it out so the gospel in itself what the, what the author's trying to show us is that the, the gospel was affecting the bottom line right his his focus right is first and foremost the author wants you to know what's most important is that he's like look man this dude is leading people to christ and we losing cheese we are losing money we have a problem which is cool i think the implication for me i'm like man you know what we want to shut down liquor stores right we want to shut down drug dealers i'm like man you know the way we do that right we 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 change the market we lead people to christ and then if people don't want crack you won't have crack dealers right right people come to jesus and they're off alcohol you won't have liquor stores right So, I'm like, okay, we can, you know, we need to lead people to Jesus. We disciple people. That's what our commitment is, right? I was just, you know, we were praying, we were praising Jesus, and I was in the back praising Jesus, and I was looking, and we had the kids here, and this place was, this area was full, and this area wasn't. I thought, man, Lord, I prayed by the Holy Spirit, would you allow this this place to be filled with people worshiping God with changed lives in our community? Because, see, the more that that happens, the more we're going to be able to say to the blue light and these other places, hey, we don't need you, right? See, the way they affected the bottom line, they weren't just picketing. I'm not saying picketing is bad. They weren't just, you know, going around and just saying good speeches. They left people to Jesus, preached the gospel, and guess what? It affected the economy, right? So these guys are, co- are frustrated. They're like, look, this, <laughs> me you know that from this business, we have our wealth. This is how we get paid, all right? Verse twenty six, and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And I love this. Now, see, you, you see how we are. Didn't that humble you? Here's a dude. So you would think, if you, so, you make an artifacts. You the guy who make them, all right? So you know they fake, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, you you know, if I didn't make it, I can kind of fool myself a little bit. I I think it's real. I didn't make it. Maybe it's real. Maybe it's, you know. But when you're making it, this brother, look how he's talking, though. He's like, I'm mad at Paul because he got the nerve to say that the things we make aren't God's. As if he really believes that they're God's. You see that? What is it that humbles me because it shows you how deceived we can be as people? Right? You think that's just simple, but that's how that's how deceptive the evil one is. It says here, uh, which, which, by the way, I love. I love verse twenty six because I love when unbelievers, uh, by mistake, testify to the reality of Jesus. You know, I just love it. I love. I mean, that's what he's basically saying. I mean, because you started talking about things made with the hands are not gods. Everybody looking like, yeah, they're not. Nice. If they're made with your hands, you know what I'm saying? You made it. (laughs) I'm sorry, I just can't get over that. Verse 27, right? Yeah. So if anyone's in here making something and you think it's a God, you made it. It's not a God. Verse 27, and there is danger, not only that, now look what he does here. So he, so he, he goes He goes straight street, Hey, okay, we're losing money, we got to get paid, this is crazy. But then look what he does, he gets personal, verse 27, and there is danger, not only that this trade is ours, may come to inter- disrepute. He says, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may be disposed, right, uh, from her magnificence. So whom all Asia and the world worships. So he says, first, you in my pockets, and then he makes it personal, and he says, hey, y'all dogging our goddess. This is, this is our goddess. This is our religion. What are you doing, right? It's almost like he's gathering the people, and I was trying to think of something special, like, and it, you know, you grab a bunch of patriots, you know, patriotic people, and you're in New York, and you start saying how someone's dogging the Statue of Liberty or something. But it's, it's even worse than that because we don't, hopefully, people don't see the Statue of Liberty as a god, but, I mean, he's trying to appeal to their emotions now, right? And he's, getting, he's focused on the political framework, the economical, and now he's talking symbol. I mean, this is, he's hitting it all. He's challenging the reality that, man, our preeminent majesty, which is this fake God, he's going against that. In verse 28, he says, when they heard, I love this. So, so he gets some hype, right? And look at these nutballs. And they say, verse 28, when they heard this, they were enraged, right? And were crying out, greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. So, so I would think, in my personally, if, you know, when you start talking about we made them, I would have thought, because these are all, now remember, other people are coming about, but the core group were all people who make them, okay? Remember? It was a, it was a, it was a union. And so they all go crazy. They move from anger, so they're all angry right now. They move from anger to confusion, verse 29. So first they're angry. They start great Artemis of the Ephesians. Uh, then verse 29, it says, so the city was filled with confusion, which is interesting. So they're screaming, but actually they're just kind of confused. They don't even know what to do. And we see that because look what it says. And they rushed together in verse 29 into the theater, which was like a around 25,000 people. This is where they would have really big meetings, maybe like uh, four times a year. Um, And and as far as like big politicians and when they wanted to talk about things that would actually influence uh, the city um, in that day. And it says they go into this huge theater and they're dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions and travel. So they grab a few of the homies who were part of this deal. They're like, hey, you, 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 you two, get over here. And they grab them and bring them up because they're mad because these are the guys who are trying to get into our bottom line and talk about our goddess, right? And it says, but when Paul wished to go, which I love, he's a G, right? To go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him, which is a cool implication. Again, just a cool f- a picture of sovereignty and wisdom, Right? Right, because God is sovereign. Right, He could have ran in there and said, "I'm Paul. Who you messing with? Don't you know my guy's awesome?" And did the whole David and Goliath thing. Right, He could have did that. Right, Right? we say, "Well, he didn't have faith because he didn't run up." But but see, that's where you got to make sure as we walk with the Lord, there's a sovereignty component that God is in total control, and you will die only when God wants you to. Right, and then there's this issue of just practical wisdom that God created you with a brain. Right. And you don't want to just try to test God's sovereignty and do something stupid. Right. So God, you know what I'm saying? Like, you don't you don't go God and sovereign and then walk through a firing line where people shooting the right machete, you know, shooting M16s. But well, my God is sovereign. Watch this. Boom, 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 boom. You can get shot up. You know what I'm saying? Now, God could heal you and the bullets could deflect. But usually they don't. Right. So I say that to make sure that we are healthily. Thinking through sovereignty And who, how powerful our Lord is Which I don't doubt the goodness of our king But also realizing here's a cool practical demonstration Of a guy who's seen miracles Seen people rise from the dead Seen all kind of stuff And they say Paul don't you go in that crowd It ain't going to work out bro Right Because I know I mean we're in the hood People get all hype We're going to go down We're going to go up to the drug house I know they got guns I don't care it's on You walk up in there Looking stupid you know what I'm saying? Then calling the pastors, come get me. You know what I'm saying? Well, I got to come get you, you know? So, and some of my elders know some of that stuff happened before. But um stop doing that, y'all. So, so he says, he says, um. Hey, they wouldn't let him. No, we're not going to do that. You stay here. Don't be foolish. Verse 31, and even, uh, some of the Asiarchs, uh, who were friends of his sent to him, uh, and were urging him not to venture to the theater. So, you know, you can tell they weren't being conv- They weren't convincing him. The, the disciples, they were, they were like, no, I'm still going. So then it took the Lord to grab some of these guys, these Asiarchs. These were guys who were assigned to Asia Minor to keep peace and to make sure people were doing okay. So these are kind of the peacekeepers of the day. And so these, these guys were, were really big in the government, which is really important because it shows you that, that Paul had pull even within the government, right? So he had these guys, and these guys were like, hey, look, Paul, man, I know you hype. I know you want to go in there. Hey, that's our job to keep the peace you roll up in here bro hey it's over bro so they go they say no please don't do it paul okay um and our whole and their whole point was to keep the allegiance um, uh to rome right so the people would worship the emperor that's what the asiarchs did so they're not even jesus followers okay just to show you the sovereignty of god but also how god was working and also how how paul had influence Think about that. This was their, their job was to make sure that the emperor was worshiped, and they liked Paul. That's just God's grace. Verse thirty-two. Some cried out one thing, some another. For the assembly was in confusion. I love this, and most of them did not know why they had come here together. Uh-huh. You, you, and y'all know we've not seen stuff like that before. People, you be screaming and stuff. What, what, we, what we screaming about? <laughs> why we running? While we running? What we? What you do? Right, and you know, a mob back in the day, right? You think about it. Okay, at least we've become a little more sophisticated with our mobbery, right? I mean, we got we got stuff. You know, we can burn a car. You know what I'm saying? We can flip over a chair. You know, a couch. We can. You know what I'm saying? We can break some glasses. You know, break windows. We burn up stuff. You get your energy out, right? It's evil, but we got stuff to do. We can we can destroy stuff. They they ain't have glass. They have no cars. I'm just thinking, I just thought practically that had to be a boring mob because you couldn't do nothing. You just stood there and went, ah, ah. nothing to do. What you going to burn, a rock? And you didn't have matches. How, you t- how long did it take you to start the fire? I don't know. I just think about that stuff. No spray paint. Can't, can't do no graffiti leave. You know what I'm saying? I don't know, man. Verse 33 some of the crowd prompted Alexander so look at the Jews see how the Jews are and remember we talked about the whole issue of the way now why do we say they use the word the way I want us to be encouraged by that because these guys when they would preach the gospel they would say listen I know you I know you have all these other philosophies I understand you, you if you're talking to a Jew I know you're steeped, steeped in Judaism but there's one way and all that that was all that stuff that was going on in the Old Testament that I celebrate is pointing is pointing to Jesus Jesus actually came down on the cross for your sin he's the only way to have a relationship with Yahweh talking to the Jews and if he's talking to a Greek he's the, only, he's the only true God these other guys are false Jesus is the true God right so he so they called them the way because they would consistently talk about there being one way I love that reputation and they got to the point that those those cats who say there's one way <laughs> do you ever you have friends sometimes and they know you're a nice Christian but you so cool with everybody they don't know if you believe there's one way not these guys they call them the way Well, I say that because... What happens here is the Jews are frustrated with the way because the reason why the way is still protected is because they still find themselves under the guard of Judaism. They're like, hey, we say there's one way to Jesus, but we're still under the guard of Judaism so y'all don't kill us off, okay? We still love the Old Testament. We, we believe in the monotheistic God, Yahweh. We believe he's triune though, but we are under the guard and the protection of Judaism. And the Jews are like, no, 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 no. If you're going to talk this way stuff and this Jesus is risen and he's, your king you are not a part of judaism get out of here do your own thing you're not going to be under our protection and rome is going to deal with you so that was a big struggle right in the first century we saw that a couple weeks ago you remember guys well right here they're trying it again the jews are frustrated so what happens says some of the crowd prompted alexander whom the jews had put forward why they do that the jews are like look y'all need to go and tell these homies this big old crowd here get up there alexander tell them we are not part of the way Make it really clear. Say, be quiet, y'all. By the way, we're not with them. We're nice Jews, right? It says, and Alexander motioned with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. Defending what? That, hey, that's not us. They're doing their own thing, Question them. But just make sure you don't go burning my house, being mad at my wife because of what these cats doing, right? That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to separate themselves. Persecution, y'all. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, I love this, uh, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice. Greatest Artemis of the Ephesians. He didn't get a chance to share. <laughs> love it. Now, you lump right on in here, bruh. Didn't get a chance to share, right? And so it says here in verse 35, and when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, which town clerk is basically probably one of the chief citizens of that day in that town. Uh, he comes up. He said, men, verse 35 of Ephesus. Who is there who does not know that the city of, Eph- of Ephesians is temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? So look at his apology. He says, listen, I love this, the confidence. And, and we see this unbelievers a lot of times would be very confident in their pagan gods. I mean, he's talking as if this is really happening. He's saying, hey, you know, hey, why are y'all mad? We don't have to be mad at these guys because we know that our God and that those that, that statues fell out of the sky. No, he just told you he made them, right? So he says, you know, the, temp, the temple keeper of great Artemis and the sacred stone that fell out from the sky. He says, we know that our, that our God is real and powerful is, is basically his point. Seeing then that these things cannot be denied, verse 36, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rash. You don't have to fight. You don't have to beat people up because I'm totally content uh, in our pagan tree. And verse 37, for you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess, right? And so this guy is saying, hey, this, our God came from heaven. Our God is great. Nothing can change that reality that our God is awesome. So that should give us great confidence to be okay, right? Look at her fame and her majesty, Right? It wasn't mortal workmanship that brought this God. It was it was the beautiful, beauty God, beautiful thing of the God to bring this thing down from heaven. Verse thirty-eight. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsman with him have a complaint against anyone, because he's saying, "Hey, you, what you guys are simply doing? We have this real God who's falling out of the sky, and the things you're making—they're just so symbolic of the of the reality of our God Artemis." He says, so, hey, Demetrius, calm down. If you have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open. Take it clearly. Just be, you know, do it like a nice, nice dude. And he says, and, and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. I'm going to say one more thing, and then I'm going to ask a question, and then we're going to um, continue to worship in, in song and communion. So he says, don't riot. Calm down. And look at, look at his main reason. See, see... Many times you can see the false or truth when you see people's motivation, right? When someone's telling you all this proposed truth and then it's so they can get a lot of money, I want to propose to you that the reasoning determines the reality of the truth. Look at the reality, look at why he says what he says. Verse 40, oh, don't do all that. He he, 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 he girds it in the sense of, oh, we're, our guy's awesome, but the real reason Verse 40, For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting the day. You see that? Since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he has said these things, he dismissed the assembly. At the end of the day, this brother was more concerned about the fact that when Rome finds out these people are rioting, what are they rioting for? What happened there? And all of a sudden, everything breaks loose. Maybe the Jews might get persecuted. Maybe the way might be persecuted, persecuted. Maybe the town might be, who knows what's going to happen. And this guy is saying, wait a minute, guys, you're going to get us in trouble. We don't need this noise. This wasn't about truth for him. This was about keeping it calm so everyone can live a nice little chill life. I don't want drama is the point here. And in fact, what's funny is you think, "Man, man, this guy, he calmed it down. Praise the Lord for God's sovereignty. I think this was... I think not having these guys experience persecution was actually a hindrance to the church. And here's why, because what this dude did was he affirmed their paganism, right? They left thinking they're, they're, that it was okay to serve these nasty, weird, made man god you know, gods versus experiencing the persecution. Maybe some people die, but everyone leaves going, those people believe very different than me. Here's a question I want to ask you guys as we look at that text here. A lot of stuff going on. I want you to talk through it in your mad groups. When I look at this text, I'm like, well, what is the Lord wanting us to learn? You know, if I'm a first century Jew and I read this, how am I encouraging my faith? You know, I'm just thinking and praying. And the biggest question, uh, which really meets us today, even with what's going on uh, with our Egyptian brothers and sisters who died for their faith, is what is the cost for you to be a Christian? What's the cost for you to be a Christian? Here's what I mean. Think about it. America's an interesting place. The reason why it's interesting to me is because we're in a place right now where you can kind of live your whole life as a professing believer and because of our culture, never really have to count the cost. How do I say it a different way? See, in many cultures where we're sharing our faith as missionaries, there are things that we believe as believers that actually just adamantly goes against the grain of the culture. And so for you to believe it means you have to denounce the very area in which you're in, the the, the, the cycle of life in which you're living. That brings about persecution because you stick out. Right? You see that? But see, in America. Well, we still at this point in life, we still have these virtues, even as an unbelieving society, but our our virtues are still framed in Christian ethics, right? So people still realize they want to be kind. For the most part, people, when they get married, want to love their wife. Um, People realize that you're not supposed to murder. Uh, right? People realize you should you should try to give back. Right? So you get paid. I know I got I know unbelieving friends who give back more than some of y'all. Right? So we, we can we can so you can find yourself as a believer basically never really rubbing up against the culture of the United States because of the the deception I propose. Of Satan, kind of putting the uh, the veneer of our of our culture is wrapped in Christian ethics, and I think it allows us to not really ask ourselves or to challenge us: How are we counting the cost of being a Christian? Never really being brought to the point where, man, if I do this, I might get hurt. Something might happen to me. Something might happen to my kids. Something might happen to my wife. Something might happen to my husband. Let me challenge you another way. I think that if we really think about the cross, we will put ourselves in environments, even in an America, which you can have all the trimmings and not really be faced with persecution. I think when we really consider the cross, you actually put yourself in this environment finding yourself going up against culture. So I'm backtracking. I'm saying I think we think that our country is is framed in Christian ethics. But I think we have lulled ourselves to be deceived. And that as it were, those things are godly, right? A person could be an unbeliever and have a godly marriage if they do Christian things. Right And so I want to ask our church, what are you doing in your journey, where you finding yourselves counting any costs? Or have we fooled ourselves and thinking, "Man, you know, I'm nice. I give. I have people over for dinner. You know, I treat my wife well. I, I, I love my kids. You know, when someone asks me, I'll tell them about Jesus. What is it? What is the cost for you? Is there any cost? Is there any cost for you to be a Christian? If you were an unbeliever, would your life change at all? Again, we talked about sovereignty and wisdom. I'm not asking us to go out and just get shot to show our proof that we love Jesus. But I am saying that daily, the Holy Spirit gives us ample opportunity to do practical things in our life that we would not normally do if we were an unbeliever. And many of those things actually go against the thread of our culture. And my prayer is for our body to have consistent courage, to be constantly asking ourselves and finding ourselves carrying our cross with joy. We see Paul doing it. We see our patriarchs and our matriarchs doing it of old. And by God's grace, I'm praying that we're able to as well. Hey, here's what we're going to do, guys. Think about that. Wrestle with it. Uh, I want to encourage you. If you're in this local body and and you're like, man, I, what does this look like? How I want to plug in. I want to encourage you like, hey, we want to we help you figure out how to count that cost. We want to we walk with you and be with you. We want to ask you to consider getting into a discipleship relationship, plugging into this local body, locking arms with us, so we can fight the fight of faith together, so we can be in each other's lives. We want to consider you just don't come and just, we, we love having you. Come hang out. That's great. Love it. Love you guys. But we want, I want you to be known by people, and I want them to know you. And So I want you to be in those relationships. If you want to learn more about discipleship, which is our membership, Uh, Pouring your life into one another Pouring your life into the people in this community Talk to me Go out to the uh, foyer Go to your left There's a discipleship um, A pamphlet for you You can talk to the elders You can talk to Pastor Leon And we want you to plug in Okay Uh, Most importantly If you're right now thinking Man Yeah my life I just do my own thing I realize man For some reason like Jesus is Jesus, my God, I've been working really well and I I think I'm a good Christian and you you put all your focus in what you do and you haven't yet experienced the doctrine of grace. You haven't experienced that. It's not about you, but it's about Christ. We're gonna ask that you consider the good news of Jesus and that is you're dead in sin and evil because of the fall. God should have destroyed us. He didn't. What he did was he gave us ample opportunity to affirm our evilness by our consistent disobedience and prostitution to this world and to Jesus. And what he did instead of destroying us because of that, he then pours out his mercy and his love on us by sending Jesus Christ and saying, you can't pay for your sin. I'll pay it for you. I'll send my son who will be murdered on your behalf. And then what God does is that he murders his son to allow the payment of sin for all creation to happen. And then what he does, he rises from the dead and he tells us we can rise with him, but only on one condition that we don't trust in ourselves but we trust in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. When the gospel, we hear the gospel. That's not gospel music. It's called means good news. And the good news is that Jesus died and he rose and he's the king. And we can experience and know his love by confessing our sin, repenting of our sin, meaning that Lord, I agree with you. I'm a sinner. We repent Lord, by your grace, I'm going to change. I don't want to be like that. I want to move toward you. The Holy spirit fills us right. And forgives us of our sins and makes us God's children. That's why we meet together. That's why we remind ourselves we're not crazy. That's why we have new life. That's why we have joy in the midst of suffering. So we pray as a covenant community that if you don't have that narrative in your life, that you would respond to Christ today and say, I want that narrative. And you wouldn't jump through hoops. You would just say yes to Christ. All right? Uh, We do tithe and offering. If you are a new person here.